This is the Emergency Medical Minute. Real, raw, relevant emergency medical education. the show. I've just uh, returned from Colorado Springs. Very exciting. A big trip for us. Um, and so I used to work down there. And I worked at the Air Force Academy and paid back my military commitment. And every year in about a month or so, all the new cadets would come from everywhere. And there would be a certain subset of problems that would develop with all these new cadets. Um, and so one of the things I was going to talk about is HAPE, so high-altitude pulmonary edema. Um, so basically, the academy sits at um, right at about 8,000 feet. The uh, cadet housing is right about 8,000 feet. So um, the, the cadets would come from you know, Florida and Mississippi and uh, started coming in with cough and you know, couldn't quite exert themselves to the degree that the Air Force felt that they should. And so we would see a lot of those in the ER um, and, and talk with them about their problems. So at any rate, um, high-altitude pulmonary edema, fairly rare under 10,000 feet, but definitely can occur over 8,000. Um, when you talk about people that come from low altitude and then go out and do a 14er, um, so 14,000 feet, uh, the incidence raises to about up to 6%. And then when you get to the people that are doing the um, mountain climbing outside of Colorado, uh, over 18,000 feet, uh, incidence of 2 to 15%. So not a trivial incidence and certainly not uh, necessarily at, at super high altitudes that you have to be there to see it. So the pathophysiology is breakdown of the pulmonary blood gas barrier, and basically you, you develop a CHF-like picture. Um, it has several different triggers. So hypoventilation, um, which it can occur with, you know, uh, decreased uh, ventilatory drive for multiple reasons at higher altitude uh, triggers some of these problems. Also, you get increased sympathetic tone, and then subsequently you get uh, increased pulmonary vascular resistance, and it's sort of an Apache distribution. It's not a consistent distribution of pulmonary bed vasoconstriction. So that's why you sometimes get these patchy-looking infiltrates. It's not a consistent process. Um, also, the endothelial nitric oxide production is decreased in this situation, and pulmonary uh, vasoconstriction is exacerbated by this as well. So basically, you accumulate intravascular, excuse me, extravascular volume within the pulmonary alveolar spaces, and uh, then that kind of brings with it pul pul blah, proteins and, uh, and some of the other uh, um, extravascular um, substances that can then ultimately lead to further breakdown, ultimately causing uh, alveolar capillary breakdown completely, and then you get hemoptysis. So the classic presentation is someone who arrives at altitude two to four days later, they start having this sort of dry, non-productive cough. They may develop a low-grade fever. Initially, they have dyspnea on exertion, subsequently have dyspnea at rest, and then uh, sort of the next things that happen are the hemoptysis, hypoxia, altermentation as a result of hypoxia, and then uh, pulmonary collapse if it's severe. Um, obviously, at the lower altitude, you're not as likely to see that. Um, you get the tachys, so tachycardic, tachypneic, and on pulmonary, or excuse me, on respiratory exam, you have pulmonary rails. So basically, um, and, and also one other point is that kids can have a much more precipitous decline, um, so that's something to consider. Um, 
their genetic predispositions. So people with genetic predisposition will sort of frequently develop this if they continue to try to go to high altitude. Also, obviously, in families, this can um, be seen. It's poorly explained on a specific genetic basis, but they're, uh, they're sort of still working on that. Um, also, other things that can uh, precipitate or, or increase your risk are male sex. Um, and that has uh, partly to do with the subset bias of who climbs mountains and who is at risk for this. Um, also, cold exposure. So, you know, again, mountain climbers are sort of completely set up for this. Uh, respiratory infection preceding, um, exertion, and then any uh, underlying lung condition like pulmonary hypertension uh, and any sort of shunting in the cardiac system. Um, so basically, the treatment is pretty straightforward. You decrease your altitude, you provide supplemental oxygen. Um, other more advanced therapies can be hyperbaric chamber uh, therapies, so that does happen with severe cases upon occasion. Um, and then there's several drugs that have been postulated and utilized uh, with varying degrees of success. There's no sort of one drug that really helps substantially, um, but different things that have been looked at are things that decrease pulmonary vascular resistance, such as nifedipine, um, the phosphodiesterase inhibitors, and uh, also beta agonists, and then dexamethasone. Um, again, all of these are sort of the things that you know they have at the uh, high altitude camps for mountain climbers. Um, all of these things are used as adjuncts, but the primary treatment is increased oxygenation and decrease their altitude. Um, I don't know if anybody's into mountain climbing at all, but a lot of the um, you know professional mountain climbers at these base camps they'll have these hyperbaric chambers essentially to help produce the decreased, artificial decreased descent with hyperbarics. Um, and those can be life-saving for these people who are critically ill with this problem. So, so um, if you go to the academy, if you climb a 14er, if you spend a lot of time in Mississippi, maybe you should uh, you know, raise your altitude a little bit more slowly. <laughs>